a pioneer in the financial world? It's about the last place David Becker thought he'd wind up. His brain was wired for tech, not banking. Welcome to First Internet Bank, where we have financial solutions that fit your busy, active life. Becker's banking vision? No branches, no tellers. Make it easy for people. Let them unlock their financials with their fingertips. Meet the tech-savvy Indiana entrepreneur way ahead of his time. How he helped open the door for online banking. First Internet founder David Becker. His journey from Indianapolis Times paperboy to financial trailblazer. My guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick with a conversation this week with a Hoosier who spent half his childhood growing up just blocks away from the roar of the engines at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the other half on a farm in the Indiana countryside. Those early life experiences in Eagledale and Monrovia helped to shape Dave Becker. He's an Indiana Tech serial entrepreneur who nearly 25 years ago decided he had the business model to make it easier for people to bank by doing it online. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to uh, welcome to the podcast, David Becker. David, how are you? Doing good, Gary. How are you? I, I'm great. You know, uh, a combination of COVID and some other things. It seems like it's been forever since I've, you know, used to run into you all the time and, and see you, but uh, it, it's been a while. How are things? Uh, doing good. Doing good. You're, you're spot on. The uh, COVID kind of shut everything down for a couple of years. It's great to get back out again and interact with people. And uh, I think we're all much more productive when we can greet each other face to face. Yeah. 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 Agree with that. You know, I, I think people here uh, in Indiana certainly recognize you as a, as an entrepreneur, an innovator, a tech guy, but also very much you're a banker, right? As, as uh, you know, first internet bank founded that, uh, I guess it, it launched in 99. Is that, is that accurate? That's correct. Well, February 22nd, 1999. Obviously, we want to talk about that, but uh, a lot of crazy things going on in the banking industry recently with those, uh, you know, a few bank fail failures, including Silicon Valley Bank. As that was all unfolding, was there was there impact that you saw at first internet or internet, or did you have? What was your perspective as as that was unfolding? Technically, it didn't directly affect us here at first internet, but we kind of drawn in one how fast it came down was a surprise to absolutely everybody with no warning, no kind of heads up. And uh, my phone lit up at 1 a.m. in the morning with uh, friends here still in the tech industry that had all their monies at Silicon Valley Bank. Dave, I can't make payroll on Wednesday. What am I going to do? Uh, so that started a chain reaction of events uh, literally all weekend on the phone with legislative folks here in the state, the ITA, the lobbying effort, talked to the uh, folks down at the state house, the governor's office, IBA, Department of Financial Institutions, American Bankers Association, Everybody trying to figure out what's going to be plan B come Monday morning if the Fed had not stepped in and released the deposit. So uh, we kind of set up. I talked to Tom Fight, who's uh, chairman of the DFI, that Tom, I'm, I'm going to help my friends make payroll one way or the other. It'll probably be a loan you're going to criticize. And uh, that static, he said, they do what you have to do. So uh, yeah. it was, it's really a great example of how the state came together 
in a whole lot of ways. And there were a lot of things going on in the background that nobody will ever see or hear about. But I think we were pretty well prepared. Had the Fed not stepped in and released those funds, uh, Indiana would have been good come Monday. Yeah, I, Dave, that, that's that's fascinating. Obviously, it, it, it hit the news. But uh, as that as we were seeing things publicly, there were already a lot of things going on behind the scenes, uh, as you say, to uh, to try to address the situation. Yeah, we we it, it, everything was slow to get even to almost like a, a maybe potentially a state PPP type program that uh-huh. uh, helped the institutions out till the dust cleared, and, and we figured out what the feds were really going to do. So. Yeah, a lot of activity, a lot of thought process going on. It was a very uh, long, short weekend. Uh, but it's, <laughs> when the uh, feds finally announced Sunday evening that the funds were 100% insured, a consumer or a small business would not lose any of their deposits and they would yeah. be accessible as of Monday. That that took the edge off. But people are being smart. Uh, we've opened up probably uh, two or three dozen accounts with institutions and firms here in the state of Indiana that were banking 100% Silicon Valley. So now, have a backup position, even though first sellers have stepped in and bought most of the assets. People are diversifying a little bit and it, it will change banking and it will impact with the closure of Silicon Valley, the tech industry for years to come. They were by far and again, one of the largest supporters, particularly in startup uh, companies in the tech world. And uh, that's going to have a lot of impact. It's going to be big shoots to fill. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, That David, in particular, the Silicon Valley Bank uh, failure, the impact, you know, on the startup community, because they were so uh, fully entwined in the startup community, including here in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, talking to folks from High Alpha over the weekend, all 40 of their companies were banking with Silicon Valley, High Alpha Bank with Silicon Valley. Uh, they were all frozen and locked up in uh a lot of panic over the weekend. And as you know, most small tech companies, they pay twice a month on the 15th, the 30th. So come Wednesday, they need money for payroll. And uh, it, again, association, one of the Silicon Valley had a lock on the market, so a little onerous in some of their uh, requests and procedures. And one of the plays, is we're going to assist you financially, you need to have 100% of your deposits here. Well, uh, I think whatever happens in the future, uh, Companies would just not agree to those terms. They have to have a safety net. But as you state, they 90% of their business was in the tech field. And it's going to leave a big hole for a long time. And Citizens uh, that bought them does have a startup community, but not of the size and scope. And hopefully they can retain most of the employees at Silicon Valley. And uh, with the death settles here, three to six months, they kind of re-energize. But it will change the way things work going forward. Yeah. Dave, think back, you know, first internet bank, I say you're a banker, but I think is more than anything, you're an innovator. And you launched first internet bank in 1999, the first state chartered FDIC insured bank, I think doing business solely on the internet. Think back to 1999 and maybe a little before when you got this, this rolling, did people look at you like you were crazy at at an internet bank? Well, yeah, they looked at me like I had three heads, and more importantly, that I'm launching an internet bank out of Indiana. Nothing gets launched <laughs> in Indiana, so yeah, it was yeah. it was a pretty interesting play. And actually, starting the process in 1996, I was talking to Bud Melton and the team at uh, at the time, first Indiana Bank. The idea, hey guys, you can go nationwide and do it electronic. You don't have to do it with brick and mortar. And uh, uh, Bud said, "Dave, great idea, but I just don't think it's going to work." 
end of the conversation. So I'm standing at the elevator with my VP of sales. And uh, he goes, well, what are we going to do now? I said, I think I'm going to go start a bank prove to the world it'll work. And he goes, what do you know about banks? I said, well, I know what I don't like. He said, I've been very successful in the computer world. I can't write a line of code. So I, yeah. I think I can figure this out. So that was the uh, start. It took three years and I could go on for hours about the uh, interaction with the regulators on trying to get a bank charter uh, as a de novo institution that was going to be a higher percent. And if you remember back in the late 90s, we were still on flip phones, mainframe computers. You still want the blockbuster to get a video. Uh, all the things we take for granted today didn't exist in 1999. Yeah, nobody believed that it was yeah. a lot. And and you had to get a uh, you had to get us. I remember you telling the story and, and hearing the story. You had to get a safe, right? You had to make sure you had a, a safe. <laughs> That's exactly right. The FDIC had us send the chartering application to every office in the country, and a gentleman, uh, probably ten thirty in the morning after he just received the packet, he called up and said, "Hey, you can't charter this bank." And I said, "Why not?" He said, "You don't have a vault. Said, we don't need a vault. We're not going to have customers. We're not going to have safe deposits." <laughs> That's just a black and white rule. You have to have a hole. So I made the uh, run over to Sam's Club, bought a little vault, set it in the <laughs> office. As we say, the rest is history. Uh, what was the? Do you remember the craziest or funniest reaction you got in as you were starting things up? Uh, uh, you know, and people saying, you know, this an internet bank is is just not going to fly. Yeah, it it was uh, it was pretty funny. I was talking to a lady. She had a radio talk show in Miami, Florida. I was explaining to her how you could link your children's accounts together. You could pay bills electronic. You, you could do all this stuff. And she just started screaming through the phone. Oh, my God, does this really work? I do it with my kids. I children in college. I'm moving money on a daily basis. She goes, my daughter's overseas working for a year. I was going to have to make car payments, rent payments, all this stuff. Where I can send it all up electronically and take care of it. So she, I think she actually tried to ring her up while we were talking on the show. Saying, <laughs> I found a cure. I can take care of this stuff for you now. So it was like, just made her day. That That, that, that is great. Not only for you as an individual, but with family members and the ease of moving money seamlessly and literally real time was just unheard of at that point. Yeah. You know, and I, I read this. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, funny. And I think you were ringing the bell on Wall Street and you're, you're, you know, in, in terms of you as a banker, you were ringing the bell on Wall Street and your son whispered something in your ear about the, the unlikely nature that, that you would be a banker. Exactly. Uh, my oldest son, Jason, is whispering in my ear as we're ringing the bell. Dad, of all the things I ever thought you'd be successful in, the last thing I thought it'd be as a banker, you've customed your whole life and now you are one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hey, Dave, you are a serial entrepreneur. Tell me about um, your other businesses. I think you have started and sold five Inc. 500 businesses. Is that accurate? That's correct, Gary. Two of them went to uh, public companies and three of them uh, were picked up by private equity and VC uh, companies. Plus, I started having it as another companies over the years, probably invested in uh, close to 15 to 20 firms here in central Indiana over the years. And uh yeah, I, I think I have a distinction of being just a, a handful of individuals that have actually started um, five, eight, 500 companies. Uh, a lot of people have done two, maybe three, but there's very few of us got past that number. So, yeah, and uh, I actually sold the last one a year ago, February. So I'm down currently to just the bank. Had a lot of fun. Take 
first internet bank out of the equation. Is there a, is there a favorite? Well, let me ask you this. Was there, what, what was the toughest, including first internet? What was the toughest company for you to start and get rolling? I tell you, it had to be Wi-Fi or virtual financial services, which was the connection of traditional banking to the internet. It was the web front end and was done via PCs and servers and banking up to that point in time had been 100% mainframe computers. You might use it as the desktop unit to access the mainframe. Nobody had envisioned any access to the internet and then remote access. And part of the, the problem, a lot of the customers love Wi-Fi, but they were on a core system that was not RDS, my other company. And the core vendor said, no way, we're not going to let him connect because if he comes in with Wi-Fi next thing you know, he's going to sell him RDS, sell one grid, he's going to sell all the other products. We had to emulate an ATM machine. And that's the way we actually first started connecting uh, to these other outside institutions that were not part of our software group by emulating and talking to their system. They thought we were an ATM. And uh, that was uh, Pretty tricky program. And then once we got up to 50 to 60 customers, they finally realized one, we weren't going away. And two, their customers were demanding the service. It didn't happen. So they started working. Yeah. But uh, we, yeah, we did a, a whole lot of gyrations. They were throwing up all kinds of smoke screens about fraud and issues. How are they going to control this? Your customers really don't want anything to do with the internet. And in some respects, what everybody was looking at was the consumer. Back in that day, again, they were getting this still from AOL, and they were dialing up on uh, modems from home at 1,200, 2,400 baud, and slow as all get out. They're not going to like this, whatever. But for the first three or four years of the bank slide, our highest usage point was from about 11 a.m. on the East Coast to about 2 p.m. on the West Coast. Everybody was dialing in for work doing all the banking during the lunch hour. So, ah, that's interesting. It's speed at home and the yes. cell phone, little uh, shaky yeah. old flip phones and uh, did not have a visual image. Uh, so everybody was doing banking from work. Hey, starting these companies, as you mentioned, you started First Internet Bank, uh, uh, really a, a visionary idea, and you did it here in Indiana. Starting these companies, growing companies in Indiana, you, you've been a uh, passionate and out front a guy on on Indiana as a place for innovation and entrepreneurship over the years. Things have changed dramatically over the last 20 years, uh, to be sure, I think, in Indiana. What's your take of the climate for entrepreneurs, for innovation here in Indiana today? Yeah, I, I would say, Gary, it has changed dramatically. 20 years ago, it was software artistry, myself, uh, Mark L. Baker Hill. There were three or four, five of us around town. We kind of knew each other, but we were all doing our own thing. And there was no cohesive group. There was no startup organizations. There weren't really service companies focusing on tech industry or bioprocessors or anything else. So the infrastructure that's been built here over the last 20 years really gives us a phenomenal competitive edge to get uh, programs off the ground here. I think there's more that we can do. There is uh, Seed capital is becoming a little more prevalent. Uh, probably if there's any weakness today uh, compared to 20 years ago, kind of the middle management or the folks uh, to take the company up to the next level. 
Uh, we've got a lot of startups that wind up being kind of lifestyle businesses because we don't have the management play uh, to help them scale up and do more. But that's being backfilled. A lot of folks from Tech Point to the Chambers and state of Indiana itself are all working on trying to draw talent back into Indiana. And I think with some of the things going on on the coast today that uh, they can be very successful at that. But uh, yeah, there is, there's capital, there's support organizations, there's services companies form. Uh, there's a pretty defined path for somebody that wants to start up today that we had no access to anything. Yeah, yeah. As you look at, at the state, there are a lot of folks uh, aside from yourself, who who say you know Indiana really can become this 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 hub, this center for innovation, and you know a variety of things happening. We had uh, as we're we're taping this podcast today, this week dedicated this the bridge at sixteen Tech downtown to connect to the the medical and in life sciences assets downtown Purdue and IU with their new campus downtown, and you can go on down the list of a number uh, of things. But yet there are detractors who say you can't, you know, Indiana, you know, Indiana can't do it. It's, you know, in the middle of, you know, it's flyover state, blah, blah, blah. What do you say to those folks? I mean, I I think there, you mentioned some, I think there are multiple signs that point in a positive direction for this happening in Indiana, including the fact that, that a lot of companies are looking away, you know, looking more toward the Midwest and out of, you know, the, the coasts today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good things. The, the number one key to our success is we have phenomenal universities here in the state of Indiana turning out phenomenal students. And the key for us to really get the success, particularly in the tech space, it is intellectual capital is the number one asset. If we can keep those students here in the state, we're still a gross exporter of graduates out of Indiana. And the key is to get them aware of the opportunities here in Indiana. They go to Silicon Valley, they go to Seattle, they go to Boston, Route 128. And whatever, the first job they go to doesn't work. They know they can walk next door, get a job there. There's 40 opportunities. Well, you know, we kind of have that in Indiana, but you might have to drive from the south side to the north side or you might have to afford Wager yeah. to Evansville. But we have those 40 opportunities, not side by side. It's not... Intel repackaged for the 20th time. But the, the, I think the key to our success is to keep the graduates here. I think one of the most exciting things I've heard in a long, long time, um, downtown with IUPUI splitting in two and putting actually Indiana University and Purdue, we're one of the largest cities in the country that does not have a class A research facility in the downtown or in the, the, the metro area of it of the city. So having two universities side by side and what that will draw in both student talent, faculty talent, resources is going to be staggering. So 16 Tech is spot on. What I love about that location, they're taking an older spot in the city that's set vacant for years and years. Yeah. And the hardest thing to doing is building that bridge and connecting it. The students can walk from campus across the bridge to job opportunities research facilities. I mean, it's going to be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, one more question on, on, on venture capital, on the funding, that fuel for startups. i talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned it a, a second ago, but the, the, there seem to be indications that that VC landscape in Indiana that once was a big issue is better now. Is that an accurate description? The seed capital is there. Elevate is one of the, the most aggressive 
firms or, or VCs in the country as far as seed capital and deals and activities they're doing. We have uh, other VC funds that have developed here over the years. It's probably half a dozen actually based here in central Indiana now 20 years ago and didn't have funds. So it's here. You can bring in outside capital. We with folks like at High Alpha and Allos, they can partner with other VCs outside of the marketplace. They'll come in and piggyback on deals. And uh, the next level fund that the state of Indiana put together, kind of in the first round, a fair amount of that money went outside of the state, but a lot of it stayed here. Hopefully we're about to energize the uh, second $250 million for next level and get that focused in here. We're, we're pretty good on seeds, early stage capital. Uh, still a little tough for somebody to get that big bang, a, a $40, $50 million pop, although you've seen several of those over the last 18 months as COVID started to wane. But the, as you said, we've been historically a flyover state, but there's been some people really make some big pops here in uh, central Indiana. Battery Ventures, for example, yeah. done very, very well. And uh, we're, we're not a secret uh, place anymore. And a solid business, for the, what people love about Indiana businesses is their new ideas. As I said a moment ago, it's not Intel we had for the 20th time. So if you want really innovative tech or businesses come to Indiana, that's what we're creating. It's not repackaging somebody else's program. So yep. there's a, a lot of interest. The spotlight is here. I think First Internet Bank, we've been very successful. We've raised close to $300 million in capital uh, from all over the uh, U.S. So a good program, good team. They'll, they'll get funded here in Indiana. Well, Dave, we need to go to a break here. Uh, but when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, David Becker, the early years, growing up in Eagle Dale, close to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, and he has a bit of country and small town, right, in your background. <laughs> so we'll we'll get into that when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, David Becker, the CEO of First Internet Bank and uh, a serial entrepreneur and a, also a very passionate leader in the tech sector here in the state of Indiana. And Dave, um, let's talk about the early years. You're an Indianapolis native, right? You grew up in, in Eagle Dale, not far from, I, uh, from IMS, the Speedway. Yeah, that's exactly right, Gary. I'm at uh, 4120 Arcadia, just outside of the North Gate, about five blocks. Went to public school 61, which is almost across 30th Street from the North Gate. And uh, my first entrepreneurial experience was a newspaper carrier for the old Indianapolis Times. Wow. Uh, afternoon newspaper. And I learned early on, I put in a little sales effort. I could determine my earnings and my program, and I could buy the 10-speed bike instead of the Stingray. And, uh, 
I used to go in and uh, hustle papers at the uh, Speedway during the race qualifications. And, uh, you know, here's a little 10-year-old kid with a stack of newspapers and stuff. I'd sell enough to be able to buy a hot dog and a soft drink. And somebody always had an empty seat. So all those papers would come up here and watch the race. So it, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that that is that is great. And that was really a... Uh... I'll bet you as, you, as you think about your entrepreneurial journey, it probably started then. I mean, that gave you the spark, uh, maybe to kind of think to have that, that, uh, that, uh, that entrepreneurial mind in some respects. It did. It really planted the seed. My, my dad would tell folks, uh, when he was alive that, yeah, from the time he was 19 years old, he had the paper route. He was independent. If he wanted something, he just figured it out. He went out and got it and got a dot. And uh, as soon as I figured out I could control my destiny and I could control my earnings and uh, play, I was always scheming. I was drawing up little business plans and calculating if I wanted to get the 10-speed bike, how many papers I'd have to sell the play. So, yeah, it came at a very early age. That's great. Hey, but you moved. You were, you're, like I said, you were in Eagledale, uh, Speedway area there, uh, until seventh grade, and you moved to the country. You moved to Monrovia, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, I don't I'm think you, that. I don't, I think you were a little apprehensive about it too, right? Oh, to put it mildly, I, I had, you know, 20 of my closest friends within three minutes of the house. I could jump fences and backyards and have 40 buddies together. And again, back to the speedway that back in those days, they didn't have gasoline alley. So we had all the car drivers coming over and, and at the end of the day, working on the cars at the garage and stuff. So met Barnley Jones, the Unser brothers, Tony Ruffer, et cetera. Then we go to the country and there's nobody for two miles. <laughs> I do to piss off my parents so bad that they built up nowhere. Uh, yeah. But they both grown up in the country, loved that life. And, you know, I got there in the seventh grade. It was a phenomenal adjustment, but I got to tell you. It turned out bad. Well, you mentioned the farm uh, background, the farm life of, of your folks. So, dad uh, grew up on a farm in North Dakota, mom in Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dad was on a cattle ranch and my mother was on a tobacco farm in Kentucky. Both big families. My dad was one of eight children. My mother, one of 14. And, uh, that was kind of the life they had grown up with and they wanted to get out of the city. And I'll tell you, at the end of the day, it, it worked out really, really well. Uh, small school, 72 kids in my graduating class. Initially, four of us went to college. Two of us got out. So it was a different life, different experience. But also in the small community, I had an opportunity to really, again, do anything I wanted to do. I participate in any of the activities at school. I could kind of write my own future. I had work opportunities, worked for Gasper Grocery Store, which at the time uh, sold everything from uh, pumping gas out front to meat in the back to saddles and longboards, you name it. It's uh, uh, the old general store that did yeah. everything. So I'm sure you did a lot of farms job, farm jobs. What was the toughest? What was the toughest farm job you you ever did? <laughs> my, I don't know whether my dad was mad at me, but he volunteered me to a neighbor down the road. He had Quonset uh, pots, the kind of metal yeah. things set up in the yeah. field that housed the pigs, and I cleaned them out when the outside temperature was probably 80, 112 inside the Quonset pots. Oh my gosh shoveling those things out and when i came home my mom stopped me at the front door she said here's the towel you go out backyard hose yourself off burn your clothes and then you can come <laughs> in the house <laughs> it, was, it was that was a, a nasty nasty job and i was volunteered the, the farmer felt bad for me having 
viewing in the heat. Oh, the But uh, uh, yeah, that was that was a real introduction. Hard to top that one. You know, I I uh, I grew up in a small town. Uh, my relatives had had farms, so I did a bunch of farm jobs as well. And I know Scott Fadness, the mayor of Fisher's there. He's a he's a farm boy uh, yep. as well. What what is it about farming and agriculture and living in the country? Uh, I mean, not to generalize, but I think it teaches a lot of lessons. I'll tell you, to really drive that home, I had an opportunity in college to have lunch with Ross Perot, who founded EDS and ultimately sold to GM and stuff. And I, I sent him at lunch and I asked him, I said, you know, obviously you've been phenomenally successful. What do you equate that to? He said, hiring great people. My next question was, well, how do you find great people? He said, you know, once I, I asked my head of HR, go through the whole company, take the 10 shining stars in the company, the people that are really kicking it, and see if there's a common denominator. Eight out of 10 grew up on dairy farms in the Midwest. And when you wow. think about it, particularly dairy farms or farming or any of that worldwide, there are jobs to do 365 days a year when you're healthy and you're sick, it's bad weather, good weather. Things just have to get done. And the mentality of folks that grow up in that environment is they have that I can get it done attitude just built in. And he put a question at the bottom of the applications for EDS. We owned it. And it said, by chance, you grew up on a dairy farm in the Midwest and you you immediately moved to the front of the line in the hiring process. Wow. Love that story. You were the first on either side of your family to go to college. And you went to DePaul University uh, in Greencastle, but you almost went to the Coast Guard, right? Coast Guard Academy? That's correct. My parents really didn't have funding to send me off to school. So, and I had absolutely no connections in Monrovia, Indiana, and, and with my parents uh, to get any kind of a military uh, appointment to West Point or Air Force Academy stuff. You had to have uh, senatorial recommendations and stuff. So, the Coast Guard Academy is the only one that was kind of based on merit. Abilities started with a pool of over 10,000 applicants to get in. They selected uh, 400 uh, folks across the U.S. Uh, came out. The FBI interviewed everybody from folks I worked with, the neighbors. Uh, they were swarming all over Monrovia uh, beds <laughs> in the dark seats and badges. That's <laughs> kind of funny. And uh, that was back in 1971. And I realized uh, probably about two weeks before graduation that. The first guy that told me to scrub a floor with a toothbrush, I'd tell him where to put the toothbrush and I'd be in <laughs> Vietnam. So, yeah, so yeah. That, that probably wasn't the route for me. And I uh, happened to have a high school counselor whose husband went to the bar, went over, spent a day on campus, fell in love with a place, small school, coming from a small school. Uh, they offered me a, a full-ride scholarship, as they say, the rest is history. So, wow. That great. Wow. The full-ride. The full-ride. So Academic, yeah, I assume based largely on on academics, you must have been a uh, an outstanding student. I was I was a great student. I was not an athlete by any means. <laughs> believe, believe it or not, see me nowadays. But when I graduated high school, I was five foot seven, weighed about one hundred twenty five pounds. I wow. didn't start growing until I was in college. And I, I called my mom at uh, Thanksgiving and I said, "Hey, we need to go shopping for clothes when I get home." She goes, "I don't care what those other kids wear at school. There's nothing wrong with your clothes. You got to wear." It. I said, Mom, I've grown five inches. I put on 40 pounds. I don't fit in. Clothes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't grow until I uh, uh, got into college. I, I kind of 
back in the IPS system, I wound up skipping a grade in early days. So I was uh, much younger than the rest of the class. And my growth spurt came a little later. I, I go back to class reunions now and nobody knows me because I'm a scholar. <laughs> That's great. Hey, getting ready to graduate from DePaul, you had your eyes on law school. You thought you were going to law school, but kind of at the last minute, you kind of changed course. What was that thought process about? Uh, I was kind of the same thing. I, my original plan, I was going to take a year off, or I guess the kids call it a gap year nowadays, and uh, go out and, and see it. Just, I just thought I needed a, a break from school. And it's been kind of historic in my life. I, I make life-altering changes. <laughs> a very short uh, bit of notice. But I happened to uh, get a job with General Electric Credit Corporation. Uh, I was school through what at that point in time was classified as a headhunter. And I got into their management training program. And to this day, I would say the three and a half years that I had a GE was like a working MBA. Uh, they put a phenomenal amount of money in education and training of their employees. In fact, I would classify them. They were back in the, the uh, 70s, turning out 5,000 middle management people a year to other companies all over the U.S. I'm stunned today how many people I ran in, I run into that actually started at GE in their career. And it was just a tremendous play for me to really learn the business. And I uh, was very fortunate I had a boss that kind of let me run Dave Becker Incorporated within the GE uh, framework. He was a little upset when I opened an office in Fort Wayne, signed a lease for GE Company. <laughs> I'll say that proved you really can't do that. You know, you're going to do something like that. He called me first. But uh, when he saw I doubled my sales numbers 45 days after I opened the office, he was a happy kid. Oh, a, a great story. And what's next, Dave? Uh, you've got a lot going on with First Internet Bank. You remain very active, I know, and uh, pushing the state forward as, a, as an innovation uh, center. Uh, as you look at the next, the next few years, do you have a, a next big thing out there? You know, I, I, I think the, the, the future is unlimited for the bank. We've got a lot of irons in the fire. We're doing a lot of neat things during the pandemic. We actually kind of reinvented some of our uh, programs and services internally. We're really uh, setting a great foundation for becoming probably one of the best small business banks in America. So that's exciting as I'll get out. Personally, I have uh, five children. My youngest daughter is going to graduate this spring from IU. And I'm kind of in a position now. I missed a lot of the childhood activities growing up, and I'm getting to uh, live through their life and travel and play. And they're scattered all over the U.S. Uh, five children down in five totally different directions, which is kind of a blast. And yeah, uh, been very fortunate to be able to do a lot of travel. So it's, uh, I think that the future is tremendously bright here at the bank with things, uh, both internally, this whole banking as a service, it's kind of going back to my tech roots, and opening up a new market for us. So uh, a lot of great things going on. And as I tell young folks, when I talk to them all the time, in fact, I met a lady event last week that a talked to me years ago when she's in the core fellows. She goes, I still remember your presentations. One of the things that you drove home is that, you know, if it's a job and you don't want to go into work, you need to take, find something that you love and you'll be happy for life. She goes, first job, I made it about 45 days. I thought about your comment, looked for it, made a change, got a job. I absolutely love now. You're spot on. I enjoy going into work. It's, it's not a task. That's the way I've felt for almost 50 years now. I'm having a blast. I, I have made a promise to my wife. I used to uh, sell one company, start two. I'm not doing that anymore. So uh, 
I get to live vicariously through the bank by starting all these new services and programs. So uh, we still yeah. got the entrepreneurial spirit. We're doing a lot of fun things and uh, just keep on doing it. I, I made a, a play to the uh, Yellowstone show of the uh, old cowboy that died on the trail and probably be me, hopefully not at my desk. <laughs> David, it is, uh, it's been a real pleasure to catch up with you and uh, just want to congratulate you on your continued successes and also thank you uh, for the leadership that you have shown, continue to show uh, for the state of Indiana because uh, you are among the most passionate, visible leaders for innovation, for, again, the talent uh, situation we need to keep and attract more talent here, and you're right in the middle of all that. So, so thanks for all you do. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate that. The state of Indiana has been very great to me and my family, and it's my honor to pay that back and help the next generation. So All right. thank you very much. All right. David Becker, the CEO at First Internet Bank, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes, uh, more than 100 episodes now, and also get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.